Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning. This week, are in our third week of a third and final week of a study on the temple of God today. See, in time past, God had a temple that was located in one geographic location that was large and immovable. But in the present time, from the time of Christ on, the temple that God has had in the, on the earth has been a temple of living stones made up of believers who are gathered together in various places. In a sense, believers in Christ are rolling stones in God's mobile home, His temple, and we've been seeking to understand that further uh, in, this, in this current series. Uh, two weeks ago, we began the series by looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 and talking about us as living stones and how when we're gathered together as the body of Christ, that God's purpose and beauty might be seen more fully. Last week, we continued that by looking at Ephesians chapter 2 and talking about how in Christ, various people who would otherwise be enemies are united in one body and reconciled to God, so that in the church, there is no distinction or division between people of different ethnicities, between people of different languages, between people of different financial levels. In the church, there is one body, there is one temple that is reconciled to God. There is one construction project that God is building. And this week, we're going to wrap the series up by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and seeing one final installment of what God says about His church, His temple that He's building today. Um, But before we look at 1 Corinthians 3 together, I want to tell you a story. And it involves my ineptitude with tools. I am terrible when it comes to tools. I'm not very handy at all. As a matter of fact, for much of my life, I, I have owned very few tools, if any tools at all. And at times, that becomes a real liability. In 1998, uh, I had no tools, even that recently. I know what you're thinking. In 1998, I had no tools. And I was a youth pastor in Texas, and we're taking a group of students to Mississippi to do home repair. And so as we leave for the trip, everybody's gathering up all the tools they have. And so I look in our house, and the only tool I've got is, is my wife's hammer. It's like this little toy kid hammer. Um, and and, and I, I gathered, so all I had, I took it with me. I didn't know what kind of projects we would be doing. We get to Mississippi, and we're actually re-roofing a house, like some heavy, hard labor. So I hop up on the roof with the rest of the kids, and here I am with my toy hammer trying to rip shingles off and trying to attach uh, new pieces. And I work as hard as I can all day, but I am worthless on this job site. At the end of that day, a group of middle school girls take up a collection send someone to Walmart and come back with a real hammer. This really is that hammer. It's still my hammer today. Um, They actually took a a Sharpie and wrote on the tip of the hammer, no tapping, uh, because I had been, all day they heard, everybody else is whack, whack, and my little toy hammer is tap, 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 tap. So they they gave me this hammer, and uh, I still have it today. And, you know, if you're going to have a tool, a hammer is a pretty good one to have right? I mean, this is a a very valuable piece of equipment because it can be used to do various things. A hammer can be used to construct something, to pound nails in and secure something. A hammer can also be used to deconstruct something, to 
get leverage to rip something out or to, to take a nail out of a piece of wood. A hammer is a very versatile piece of equipment. And, you know, I, I tell you that today, and I think of that, because as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I actually saw in that passage a, a, a similar reminder. And the reminder of 1 Corinthians 3 is that as believers in Christ, as living stones in Christ's temple, we have the opportunity to be used for two different kinds of purposes. We can either spend our lives, invest our lives, building up, constructing the temple of God, the body of Christ, or we can spend our time, invest our time, destroying it or tearing it down. And this morning, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 17, and see a little more about what our role might be in God's building program of His church, of His modern-day temple. So if you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. I'm just going to read through these verses, and then we're going to go back and, and unpack it a little more. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 4. It says, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. And so in these 13 verses this morning, we're going to see two things about what it means to be a part of God's temple, the the, the role that God has for us in the building up of his temple. The first thing that we see is found from verses 4 to verse 9, uh, and that's this. It says that we should focus on God and not human leadership in his building program. We should focus on God and not in human leadership in his building program. We're going to talk in just a minute about human involvement in what God is doing, but Paul begins the passage with a stern reminder to all people that ultimately the temple that Christ is building is a work of His own. It's not a work of people at all. It's, it's ultimately, it's a work that He is responsible for. And, and we see that begin to unpack beginning in verse 4 and following, because the church in Corinth had become very divided based on their human leaders. Verse 4 unpacks for us that, that Paul was a leader in the local church. 
So was a man named Apollos. From the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, we realize that Peter also had a ministry in Corinth. And really, when you look at it, those are three pretty impressive names. Over different periods of time, the church in Corinth had been pastored by Peter, Paul, and Mary. No, Peter, Paul, and listen. Peter, Paul, and uh, Apollos had all pastored this church. And because these three men had pastored there, they, they had all developed somewhat of a following. And there were people who, who more closely affiliated themselves with the teaching of Paul or more closely affiliated themselves with the teaching of Apollos or of Peter, and they were using it as a weapon against one another. They were saying, hey, I'm of Paul, and, and everyone who is of Paul, we're the ones who have it right. Those of you who say that you followed Apollos, hey, that's, that's third tier. He wasn't a, an apostle. He's written no scripture. We're following Paul, or we're following Peter. He was one of the original 12. You're following Apollos? And the church had begun to be divided based on its human leadership. And when Paul hears this and he becomes aware of it, he speaks out directly against it. He says in verse 5, and following, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. See, Paul is not going to allow them to divide based on human leadership. He's going to point them back to the one who is ultimately responsible for anything good that happened in Corinth, and that was God himself. See, if Paul, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Paul could have taken advantage of this situation. Paul could have said, hey, there's people in this town who will run through a wall for me. There's people in this town that say that I am the true pastor, and I'm better than Peter, and I'm better than Apollos, and I'd do anything to follow him. He could have taken advantage of that. He's the one writing the Scripture, and he could have written in this letter, hey, you guys need to follow me. But instead, inspired by the Spirit of God, Paul says, Whoa, whoa, hang on. You got it all wrong if you're looking only to human leaders. Because ultimately, it's God who is at work. He uses a farming analogy. He says that he planted and Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. He calls the church later on in, in verse 9, he calls it God's field. Paul's using an agricultural analogy that any farmer would understand in that day. See, a farmer may may plant, a farmer may water, but ultimately the growth of the crop is based upon what God does. If God did not build within a seed the potential to grow, then no amount of watering would help. If God didn't provide the nutrients in the soil necessary for growth, then then, then no amount of anything else would, would work. If God didn't provide the rain from the sky, the plant wouldn't grow. So how stupid for a farmer to say, I have grown the best crop ever. Any good farmer would understand that their work was totally dependent upon the work of another, upon the work of the Creator. Paul looks at the church and he says the same thing. The growth of of this church is totally based upon what God has done, not what I've done or Apollos has done or Peter has done. And he turns their focus away from people and he turns their focus back to God himself. That was a situation that was going on in Corinth, and it was important for Paul to remind the people of that. But you know what? The the same thing is true of us today. We need to be reminded that the church is ultimately God's enterprise. 
The church is ultimately the, the building that he is constructing, a building made of living stones of human beings, believers in Christ. It's ultimately his work. He's the one that we're following, not people. And you know, in, in a day and age where our church has numerous pastors, in a day and age when you have access to different teaching on the, on the internet and on radio, and you can read different things, it's possible for, for all of us today to, to become followers of people instead of followers of Christ as we make our allegiances to different teachers. It's interesting, a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Thomas Rhine says this. He talks about this passage and begins to apply it and says, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos. Familiar cries in a world of high-tech religion. See huge Sunday crowds squint under the glare of spotlights as their preachers dazzle millions of electronic viewers with wisdom and rhetorical charm. Over here, the Christian public admire TV evangelists and big-time clergy. Oh, I like to listen to blank. Well, he's okay, but I like blank better. You fill in the blanks. Yes, everyone has their favorite preacher nowadays, and in spite of all the notorious hucksters, preacher religion is in. The result? An increasingly fragmented church. I belong to Paul, and you don't. It is enough to make Corinth look tame by comparison. Now, you you see that. That's a fairly pointed, fairly uh, rough statement, right? The reason why I read it is is not because I think that all of us suffer from this malady, but I, I read it because it does raise to the surface a possibility that exists for each of us to find our affinity with men instead of following Christ. Now, now, now be, be sure to know that God uses men to draw men and women to himself. God uses men and women to point to God's truth that we might follow it. But it's important that we always remember that ultimately we're following Christ and not just another person. And when you think about how that might how you might diagnose a condition like that today with yourself. Think about this. When it comes to understanding truth, do you read more of what somebody says about the Scripture than the Scripture itself? Do you run quickly to what Pastor X or Y or Teacher X or Y says about this, or do you look more to what God says about it in His Word in a primary way? If you begin to look more to what somebody says about it than what it says itself, then it's possible that you're beginning to get out of balance and you're following Apollos or Paul instead of, instead of Christ. Another diagnostic question that you might, might ask yourself is, is there someone who, because of their influence in your life in the past, that you just give a total pass to? You might be really critical and, and discerning about everything you hear except for when this person says it. And no matter what they say, you take it at face value that it's right. The reality is that we should evaluate everything we hear through the lens of God's Word. All people are fallible. Therefore, everything that that somebody says could could have error mixed within it. And we need to take what we hear and strain it through the, 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 the straining force of God's Word. That doesn't mean that we become cynical, and that doesn't mean that we become, you know, the, the church critic giving out report cards based on everything that we hear. We still are people of grace, but it does mean that we need to ultimately have a foundational truth source that is found in God's Word. 
when we begin to look to men instead of God's word, we have the possibility of turning slightly off course. See, one of the things we need to remember is we need to focus on God and not human leadership in God's building program of the church. But the second thing that we need to see from this passage is this, that we need to fulfill a lasting role in God's building program. Fulfill a lasting role in God's building program. After this reminder that, that it's possible for us to follow men instead of God, Paul lays out a, a scenario where he reminds us that God does want to use all of us in the building of his temple. He's still the one in charge. He's still the one building it, but he graciously offers to use you and I to that end. In verse 10, he begins that. He says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. What Paul was saying was that a special measure of God's grace was given to him so that he might build on the foundation. And the foundation we see in the next verse was Christ himself. Jesus established the church, but he invites his followers to build on top of that foundation. He invites others to, to, to minister according to what he has provided for them. And in the grace that was given to Paul was a ministry in Corinth and other places. The grace which is given to this team that was down here in front of us earlier is to go to Russia this summer. The, the grace that was given to Brandon was to go to East Asia. The grace which is given to you is, is wherever God has placed you. But God has given you a special gift, a special opportunity to have an impact for him wherever you are to build on the foundation of Christ wherever you are. And as you think about building on that foundation, it really is a question of what are you going to do with your life? How will you invest your life? And in the balance of the passage, from verses 12 and following, he talks about three different things that we can do, three different ways that we can build on the foundation Christ, three, three different things that we can invest our lives in. Going back to verse 10, he gives us the admonishment, be careful how we build on it. He's going to give us some options of things that we can invest our lives in with a clear winner of the three. One thing that we can invest our life in is something durable. We can invest our life in something durable. He, he describes that in verse 12, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. These were three materials in the ancient world that were seen as very durable, very lasting. They would be used on, on fancy buildings that they wanted to stay for a long period of time. Gold, silver, and precious stones were the durable building products of the day. And, and Paul is saying that when we seek to invest our lives, there are things that we can invest in which are durable, which will last. And ultimately, in, in the context of this book and in the context of this chapter, I think that the emphasis here is that the things that will last are God's Word and God's people. He's, he's saying that in this construction project, which is the church, it is living stones, it is people who are added on. And when, when we invest our time and energy in people and in, in helping them connect to the foundation of Christ, then we're building something that is durable, 
that will progress beyond even just this life, but will progress on into eternity. Think about that as parents investing in your children. Think about that as members of the body investing in each other. Think about that in terms of sharing Christ with those who don't know Him in the context where you live. That's a durable investment. And Paul says that one thing we can do is we can build with durable material, things that will last. A second possibility, though, exists that we could build with materials which are depreciating. Materials that are depreciating. He says in the end of verse 12 there, it's also possible to build with wood, hay, and straw. These were things that were also used often in first century construction on more temporary buildings. They were the kinds of materials that would blow down in a strong wind or would burn up in a fire. It's possible to build with those, but Paul wanted to remind them that those materials they built with were depreciating over time. You think about what are the things that we can invest our lives in, invest our time in, which are depreciating? I mean, one of the the first ones that comes to mind is, is stuff. The collection of stuff is a depreciating endeavor. Now, you really want that new car you drive it off the lot, what happens? Depreciates. What happens in five years? Depreciates. What happens in 15 years? Dead, right? It just goes downhill from there, right? That's what happens with stuff. What happens to that brand new iPad that you can't wait to get your hands on? You know, it's going to break. You're going to drop it. It's going to depreciate. You think, well, I could buy it right now. I could sell it on eBay for $50 more today. But you know what? Today's iPad is tomorrow's Commodore 64. Think about it. It's depreciating. Stuff is depreciating. We invest our lives in stuff and in the collection of stuff. It's a depreciating endeavor. It's wood, hay, and straw. A third option that we could invest our lives in, though, is in something that is actually destructive. Verses 16 and 17, do you not know that you're a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, the word there for destroy is the same word for corrupt. If any man corrupts the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. See, it was possible for, for, for people to spend their time having a destructive influence within the body of Christ. I think within the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's talking about divisions within the church. There were, there were those who with their words and with their time were trying to divide the church based on human allegiance, based on, on whatever they could find to divide the church. And you know what? The same possibility exists today. As, as people today who live in community with others, it's possible for us to use our, our time and our energy and our, our words to try to bring divisions between others. We can, we can talk people down. We can, we can lie. We can gossip. We can you know, whatever, use, use the, the, our, our biting tongue to tear apart. It's possible for us to invest our time in that which is durable, that which is depreciating, or that which is destructive. You know, something interesting is going to happen, regardless of how we choose to invest our, our time, and regardless of how we choose to invest our lives, there's a future event that is coming and that is the return of Christ. See, in, in verse 13, it talks about a day that is coming when our work will be shown evident. 
There's a time where we will stand before Christ as, as people. Even as believers, we'll stand before him to give an account for our lives. And, and what, what, what Christ is going to want to know is, is what have we done with our lives? Now, now, know that this is not a determination on where we will spend eternity. Our eternity is secure based on what we have done in terms of embracing Christ's death on the cross. Our salvation is totally on the basis of what Christ has done on the cross for us. But after that point of salvation, there still is a question that exists for all believers, and that is, what will you do with your life? Will you invest it in something that is durable, something that is depreciating, or something that is destructive? See, if you invest your life in something that is durable, we find that there is a reward for that. Verse 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his labor. On down again, in verse 13, he says, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. See, when we invest our lives in things that are durable, we invest our lives in things like God's Word and God's people and the development of character and the forming of God's temple. We invest our lives in those things. There is something durable about that that will be rewarded in eternity. Hey, the, the question ought to come to your mind, what is that reward? Well, we, we don't know. Anyone who says they know exactly what the reward is, is reading into Scripture more than Scripture tells us. But, but, but Scripture does indicate that there will be a reward. I'll tell you what I think it is, and, and hold it with a real open hand. But what I think the reward is that's mentioned here is just the satisfaction of an eternity seeing the things that you invested in still there. You invest your life in people and helping them connect to Christ now, in eternity, you will see those people there. And that would be a rejoicing thing because there will be something that will go with you into the life ahead. There's a reward that comes when we invest in things that are durable. But what about if we invest in things that are depreciating? What about if we spend all of our time investing in, in stuff or success or or pats on the back, or, or, or whatever that might be, the depreciating things of life. What will, what will come of that? Well, he says in verse 13, which I just read, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. Now, the picture that Paul uses there is one of a burning house. And, and the house represents all that someone has invested their life in. And he says that when, on the day when Christ returns, everything that is depreciating will be destroyed. We'll be saved, but that will be destroyed. Think of it this way. Imagine you're at home this afternoon and your house catches fire and you can't find any way of escape. Your house is burning down around you, a raging inferno. And Norman Fire Department shows up and they take an axe through the wall and they get into your house and they rescue you out. And so that you have no smoke inhalation, you have no burns on your skin, you're rescued from the house. But as you stand on the lawn, you turn and you look back and everything that you've invested your life in is now in ruins on the ground behind you. What would be your feeling at that point? 
If, if your whole life had been invested in that house and in the stuff that was in it, there would probably be feelings of great regret. The house was destroyed when fire came. And when what Paul is saying is that if we invest our lives in things that are depreciating, that when Christ returns, that stuff will be consumed with fire, we'll be saved, but we'll have nothing to show for the life that we've lived. That would be a feeling of regret. See, we can invest our lives in things that are durable, or we can invest our lives in things that are depreciating. The final possibility is to invest our lives in things that are destructive. And that leads to a rebuke. Look at what it says in in verse 17. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. If any person corrupts the church, God will rebuke him. God will discipline him or her for their action. You think, why is this language so serious? Well, think about this. Christ died for the church. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares for us. Christ provides for the church. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares for us. For someone to come in to something that you love and provide for and want to tear it apart would produce a strong reaction. Somebody came into your family and tried to turn your children against you or you against your children or a spouse against a spouse, that would produce a strong reaction from a family that loves each other. In the same way, when someone tries to tear apart the church, God takes that very seriously, and He will deal in response and discipline in some way. There's an interpretive question with verse 17 that that goes something like this. Is, Is this referring to unbelievers, and the judgment is in eternity separated from God? That's the that's, that's, that's the issue. Or is it more of a temporal thing? Is it, is it dealing with believers within the church who are causing problems and, and God will give in this life some discipline for those who are seeking to divide the church? I think there are arguments could be made for both sides. I, I tend to lean towards, again, this is an open hand issue, but I, I tend to lean towards the fact that this is talking to believers. Again, it's not talking about their loss of salvation, but it is talking about If someone is trying to divide the church, to tear it apart, that God does not let that go unnoticed, and that he will revisit that in this life in some way. The New Testament is clear that that God does discipline his children in this life because he loves us and he wants to correct us so that we follow him. So the question comes to all of us, What are you doing with your life? Christ has established a foundation and he's invited us to build on it. You want to invest in building what is durable, building God's word into God's people? Is that a part of your life? You want to just collect things that will be destroyed in fire one day? You want to try to tear apart the body through gossip and division and biting words? See, it's possible like a hammer for us to be used for several different purposes. And this morning, I think that what God wants us to see from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is that by the grace of God, we have a choice. Forget about what is behind us, but 
what lies ahead, what will you do with your life from today forward? Invest in what is durable. Seems to be the clear admonition in 1 Corinthians 4 as we build up the temple of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for your word. Father, I'm so thankful that in the midst of a passage of stern warning, that ultimately we know if we have trusted in you and your provision of Christ on the cross, that our eternity is secure. But Father, I'm so thankful that you do not just want us to pray a prayer or walk an aisle at some point in our lives and then do whatever else we want to do. But Father, you love us enough that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives even now. And Father, I pray that as believers that we would choose to invest our lives to build that which is durable, to be a part of the construction that you are doing of your mighty temple all over the world today. And Father, I pray that you would show us, each of us, the steps that you want us to take this week and in the future. Father, I thank you, and I pray these things today in Jesus' mighty name.